Bible today. We're going to be in Psalm 30, or if you just want to look it up on your phone, that's cool too. Psalm chapter 30. If you open up your Bible to almost the middle, it's probably about there. You're probably going to guess it right. Psalm chapter 30. Before we get there, there's this really cool statement in Luke chapter 24, one of the Gospels that talks about Jesus resurrecting and some of the things he did after he resurrected. It's called the Road to Emmaus. If you've never read that story, check it out sometime. It's beautiful about two people who walked with Jesus for seven miles, didn't even know it was him, even though they were followers of his. He was disguised in some way. And then he figures it out, the guy and the woman, and they say, indeed, Christ is risen. And so for hundreds of years, no joke, hundreds of years, the global church has had this back and forth statement on Easter Sunday, where usually the pastor will say, he's risen, and the congregation will say, he is risen indeed. But they'll say it like they're not depressed. You know what I'm talking about? They'll say it like he actually is, he is risen indeed. That's good news that he actually raised back from the life, okay? So I'm going to say he's risen. You're going to say he is risen indeed. But you're going to say it with an exclamation point. Are you with me? Let's try it. Let's not do this three times. Let's just do it one time, all right? He is risen I'd add a little up frame. All right, yeah, I like it. All right, I'll take it. So he's risen indeed, which is what today is all about. And we have been talking about what is the story of God. If this is your first Sunday, we've been literally walking like book by book through the Bible trying to get a grasp on what is this story, what's it all about, who's the main character, where's it going, like the history of the world. We believe that this isn't just a bunch of cute fairy tales. We actually believe that the Word of God is living and active and tells an accurate true depiction of the history of the world. You could call it the true story of the world. You could call it that. And definitely the climax of this story is Jesus' death and resurrection. It's only the climax if there's a resurrection. Are you with me? It'd be a really depressing story if it ended in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he died, and I guess, I guess he wasn't the king that he declared he was. But he does come back to life. And there's a lot of moments in our lives where we experience a lot of little deaths. There's a lot of times in our day-to-day -day life where we're tired, we're frustrated, we get easily angered like me last night at 2 o'clock in the morning when my dog wouldn't shut up. Like, that shouldn't bother me as much as it did, but it, it did. It really bothered me. There's moments every single day that we face our kids whining to us or somebody at work bothering us or we're, we know we're supposed to go to sleep but we can't fall asleep. And we expect a resurrection to happen, and sometimes we wait a really long time. Like the disciples waited. Can you imagine what the waiting was like from Friday night into Sunday morning? What was that like? Knowing that your best friend who said he was the Savior of the world died on a cross, was crucified, was murdered by experts, definitely dead, and was placed in a borrowed tomb because he didn't have enough money to his name to afford a tomb himself. What do you think Saturday felt like? We know the end of the story. We know it. But it should come as a, a little bit of a surprise that he did raise from the dead. He came back. And in the meantime, what do we do when we are uncomfortable? Like, where do you take your comfort when you want comfort? Where do you go? Kids in the room, where do you go? Your bed. Yeah. 
Your phone, yes, that's a comfort place. TV, thank you, Owen, my child, yes. TV, that's a place of comfort. Well, kids in the room, you should know that once you become an adult, your comforts just get a little bit more expensive, all right? They do. Sometimes we run to friends. Most of the time we run to the pantry. Are you with me? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Sometimes we just gouge, like we just like look into our phones as if that's going to be the answer by scrolling for an hour and a half, and we just lose ourselves in the vortex that is Instagram. We, we do. But what do you run to when you're really uncomfortable? When those things that usually satisfy you don't satisfy you anymore? Your room. Great. That was a rhetorical question. The book of Psalms, which we're going to focus on today, is basically 150 ways that people approached God when they were uncomfortable, when they were happy, when they needed wisdom, when they didn't know what to pray. They, they went to this book and they basically said, here's where we're at, Lord. You, this is what you're getting today. And they were completely authentically themselves. If you were to look at one of those, have you guys ever seen those color wheels that have emotions on them? This is really helpful, husbands in the room. If you don't know what you're feeling and your wife keeps asking you, what are you feeling? Sometimes I Google emotional wheel and I'm like, oh, that's it. That's what I'm feeling. Frustrated. Like sometimes we don't have that tool in our toolbox. I, I think this book of Psalms is a great toolbox for us to run to and pick it up and read it as if it's our own. And before we watch this video that's going to like basically describe an overview of the book of poetry that is the book of Psalms, let me read you this. This is from Eugene Peterson. He wrote The Message, and this is his introduction to the Psalms. He said, Faced with the prospect of conversation with a holy God, a holy God who speaks worlds into being, it's not surprising that we have trouble praying sometimes. We feel awkward. Are you with me when you pray? You feel out of place. You say things like, I'm not good enough for this. I'll wait until I clean up my act and prove that I'm a decent person. Or we excuse ourselves on the grounds that our vocabulary is inadequate. You say, give me a few months or years to practice prayers in private that are polished enough to bring it into some sacred church meeting. Then I won't feel so stuttery and out of place. He, he says, this is not me, but I love this wisdom. Eugene Peterson, he says, my usual response when people present these difficulties is to just hand them the book of Psalms, put it in their hands, and say, go home and pray these. You've got wrong ideas about prayer. The praying that you're going to find in these Psalms will dispel any wrong ideas about prayer and introduce you to the real thing. A common response of those who actually do that when they go and read the book of Psalms is very surprised. People are surprised. They don't expect this kind of thing to be in the Bible. They're shocked when they read Psalm 6. It says, please God, no more yelling at me. No more trips to the woodshed. Treat me nice for a little while. I'm starved for your affection. Or Psalm 71 that says, God, don't watch me from the sidelines. Like, come on. Get on my side, my accusers. Make them lose face. Those are out to get me. Make them look like idiots, not me, while I stretch out reaching for you, daily adding praise. That's in the Bible. And then I express, I express surprise at their surprise, and I say, do you think that these would be prayers of nice people? Did you think that the psalm language would be polished and polite? These are untutored people. 
Prayer is not what good people do when they're at their best. I love that phrase. It is not. Inexperienced, we might suppose that there's some insider language that must be acquired before God takes us seriously in prayer. There is not. Prayer is elemental. It's not advanced language. Honestly, y'all, kids do this better than most because they don't care what you think. They just say it. It is the means by which we get everything in our lives out in the open before God. Isn't that a great description of prayer? It's the means by which we just get everything out in the open before God. So before we jump into Psalm 30, check out this video that just talks a little bit more about it. Now, the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history. Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. And I'm familiar with books of poetry, a large collection of the greatest poems in one place, and I can read through and pick my favorites. But the Book of Psalms isn't that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason, to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and they invite you into a literary temple. A literary temple? Yeah, so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You'd see priests performing rituals. You'd hear songs and prayers, all of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you're in his living room. So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom. Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile. Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to sing their story and say their prayers? That's where the book of Psalms comes in. It's a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. Right. Let me pray, then we're going to jump into Psalm 30. God, thank you for your living word. I pray that you help me to speak the truth, nothing but the truth. (laughs) Help me, God, to get out of the way and present your beauty, your goodness, and your truth in a way that captivates us and helps us live into the resurrection life that you died for. I pray a blessing over all my friends, family here, even the people I just met today. Help us to hear you in this time. This is your word, articulating what you're about. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Psalm 30, I'm going to read this. It's only 12 verses. It's a psalm of David. He says, I'll exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. You restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me secure as a mountain. And then you turned away from me and I was shattered. 
I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, What will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord. Have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning. You've clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Such a cool psalm. Obviously, the reason I picked this is there's a lot of death to life language. Out of the 150 psalms, this is one of those really cool ones that begins and ends with praise. Did you notice that? At the beginning and the end, like verse 1, it says, I will exalt you, O Lord. Literally, I will lift you up. I'll lift you up. You're the highest thing in my life, O Lord, because you rescued me. I cried and you restored. And then at the end, it says, you've turned my mourning into dancing. I'm not sure when the last time you guys had a dance party is. It's been a little while for me. You've taken away my clothes of mourning. They used to wear sackcloth and throw ashes on their heads so that people would know I'm in a time of mourning. Well, you've taken that away and you've clothed me with joy. I will not be silent. I'm going to sing praises to you forever. Some of you are in that resurrection season right now. And honestly, sometimes it's hardest to praise God in the resurrecting seasons where everything's going well. Did you notice that in this verse when David said, when I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you're in a season like that. Cool. A lot of us are not. Most of us are not in seasons like that in 2023. If you are, I want to challenge you to be like David. It's really easy to get self-centered in those times, to think that your wealth is your security and not God, to trust in money, to trust in your job, to trust in whatever. Like Those are seasons where it's honestly really hard, Americans in the room, it's really hard in a prosperous time to turn all that towards gratitude and make it a time of worship and say, God, I actually... I think that every good and perfect thing that you're giving me is from you. And I know this probably isn't going to last forever in my life. And so I'm just saying thanks for now. Thank you. For most of us in this room, when you're in seasons where it's dark and dirty, when you're in seasons where it's kind of grimy, when you're like David, when he says, you brought me up from the grave, some of your Bibles are going to say the word sheol, which is the Hebrew word for like, you guys heard, heard of Hades, right? You've heard that phrase before, probably in Disney movies. Hades, that's the same word. It's just the pit of the grave. David's talking about this time in his life. I'm not sure what time he's talking about, but he's talking about God. You felt silent in that time. It was really dark, and this is a really dirty space that I'm in. And in those times, what do we do when we feel like we're stuck in a Friday-Saturday moment, like Jesus' death, and he hasn't resurrected yet, or he's not coming to be with you right now, what do you do in those times? I'm going to keep this sermon really short, because I know there's a lot of kids under 12 in this room. There's two things. I think there's two really good things that we can learn from this psalm, and a lot of psalms. Number one, we can sing to the Lord. Have you ever tried singing and being depressed? I mean, you can do it. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of depressed songs out there. You can put on a playlist that's really depressing, all right? But also, have you ever tried singing a worship song and being depressed, like getting your focus off of you? I was in a season not too long ago where I was legitimately waking up an hour early just so I could sing because I was just in a really deep bout of doubt and depression and feeling like God... Are you even there right now? It doesn't feel like you're there. But I got to tell you, like when I would choose to wake up early and play my guitar and sing 
or sometimes I didn't want to wake up the kids, so I would just put on headphones and I would listen to worship songs and I would mumble along. I think that we're called to sing in those times of darkness. And if you don't take my word for it, take the Apostle Paul's word for it, okay? Let me read you Colossians 3. This is an incredible encouragement where he says, let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill up your lives. This is Colossians 3, verse 16, if you want to look it up later. It says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that God gives. And then here, he says this, and I know we can skip over it really fast, but listen to this. He says, sing psalms. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Whatever you do or say, Make sure you remember you're a representative of the Lord. So give thanks to God the Father. Sometimes we don't sing because we feel like it. We sing to feel like it. And even after that, even after that, sometimes it doesn't work, but at least you can go throughout your day knowing I pursued the Lord today. I did that. Like in the dark times, in the times where it feels like Hades or Sheol or the grave, when I'm super exhausted or tired or overwhelmed, I chose to sing. Nobody's going to stop me from singing. The accuser is not going to stop me. The friends around me are not going to stop me. Culture around me is not going to stop me. I'm going to sing. I'm going to be a person of worship. I'm going to turn my attention towards him again. Sing to the Lord a new song. And then secondly, he says, I cried out to you, Lord. I begged for mercy. I think that there are times in our life where God really appreciates short prayers like help. Just help. Just help. Help. Yeah, thank you, God, but also help. I cannot do this on my own. Parents in the room, how does it feel when your kids come to you humbly and ask you for help? Not whiny, not help, please. I need to figure out this Lego thing. But when they come to you and they say genuinely help, are you ever not willing to do that? And you're not a perfect parent. How much more is God going to meet us in our distress when we say, God, help, help me? Probably one of the more destructive things to our faith is to believe that we have to pray a certain way for God to hear us or that he's far off when we do pray. Scripture is very clear. The story of God from Genesis to Revelation is very clear that God is with us. And maybe you all don't remember what Jesus was called when he was born, but can we remember this morning that before he resurrected, he was a tiny little baby, and God gave him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It means he's not far away. You don't have to just beg him. As soon as you say help, He's there. Maybe not in the way that you want him to be because he's a holy God. He's not like us, but he's there. And every single week, we take communion and we remember that God is with us. Like we, every single week, we take a little piece of bread that represents Jesus' body. We dip it in the juice that represents his blood. And we just simply say, God, I believe that you're still with me today. I believe that your presence is still with me. That your resurrection is not just one of the proofs of my faith. Have you guys noticed that in the last five, 10 years? For some reason, the resurrection has been deduced. It's just been reduced down to this like, well, this is the greatest, people call it apologetic for our faith. It's the greatest like reason that we can trust Jesus. To Jesus' best friends, it was not 
an apologetic. The resurrection was just simply, our friend is back. He's with us. The personal presence of Jesus is real. And we get to taste and see that every single week through communion. And so whenever you're ready, I'm going to pray. You guys can get up from your tables. Parents, you can help kids if you want. And you guys can take communion together, all right? Father, thank you for the Psalms that tell us that we can say a lot of things to you. We can come as we are before you. And we can genuinely approach your throne with boldness. There's been a lot of areas this week I know that we've, we've looked to for other comforts. And right now as we take communion, we, we rest again in you, Jesus. Help us to rest in you, to delight in you as you delight in us, no matter what season we're in. If it feels like Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. As we take communion, may we remember your goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You guys can go take that whenever you're ready. Hey, thanks for listening to the Life and Rhythm podcast. If you'd like to know more about Rhythm Community Church, you can go online at rhythm.community. Peace.